I want to um, talk to you this evening about grace. I was um, inspired uh, a couple of weeks ago. We went to conference to the Elim conference. This is an Elim church, and once a year we have to go as part of our, our charity kind of duty. And, uh, and part of being pastors at Elim, we go to a conference um, this year, up, well, usually up in, in Harrogate. And there was a lady there that, um, that spoke, Danielle Strickland. And there's a phrase that she used quite a lot when she was speaking, and it really kind of, it's still resonating with me. And th- th- her phrase was, what is this? What is this? And she was talking about the power of God, but at the same time, the grace of God and how that that power is sometimes we see as this almighty power, but there's also this gentle power that enables enables Jesus, enables us to do other things that, that we end up leading a life that makes people think, what is this? Why is this different? Why are you different? What is it about you? What is this? So I want to talk to you tonight about this amazing grace and amazing Jesus. And I want to start by, by reading some scriptures to you about amazing Jesus, about what people said in the New Testament about Jesus. And I'll, I will try and get through these quickly because there's a few. Matthew 12, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? The people were amazed. Matthew 15, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. The people were amazed. In Mark 1, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. Mark 9, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. In Luke 2, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In Luke 4, all the people were amazed, you see the theme here, and said to each other, what words these are, with authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. And the last one, Luke 5, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished or amazed at the cats of fish that they had taken. And so were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, what I think about this thread of scriptures, what I see in them is that they talked about being amazed by Jesus. They were astonished and amazed at what he did. One of them in particular I'm, I'm drawn to in Mark 9. So that there are many miracles that people are seeing and they are amazed by what Jesus is doing. But I love this one in Mark 9, 14 and 15. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus hadn't done anything. He just shown up. He just showed up and people were filled with wonder and they rushed towards him. They had to run to go and greet him. The other thing that struck me is, of all the miracles that Jesus did, like calming the storm, 
like walking on water and withering a fig tree. These were things people could see on the outside. These were things Jesus was doing to nature. These were quite literally miraculous things. But what we read here, the things that people are amazed at, I see is that he was healing people. He was dealing with people. He was doing miracles amongst people and for people. He was healing them. He was releasing them. He was restoring them. This power of Jesus was directly into people's lives. It wasn't so that people could see his glory. It wasn't purely a demonstration. This was into people's lives. This was amazing Jesus giving people amazing grace. The story of the disciples there catching this amazing uh, catch of fish. We read in that story that it was they were at their lowest ebb. They'd been fishing all night. They were tired. They were fed up. I should imagine that their language was choice. They were really uptight. But Jesus said, go again. Go and lay your nets down again. They were at their lowest ebb. They'd had enough. And Jesus stepped in and showed them something miraculous. Jesus would go on to die and be raised to life. A miracle that would save anyone, or sorry, would save anyone, yeah, who believed. It saved anyone who believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, this incredible miracle. So I believe people were amazed by his compassion and his grace as much as the power that they saw. As much as this difference that they saw, as much as this power that came from Jesus when he spoke, which is no different from the beginning of time, he was speaking into people's lives. He was showing them grace and compassion. I think of Lazarus when he raised him from the dead. Jesus wept at the time. He was showing compassion to the family. He was showing them compassion and grace and love. The adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery, when Jesus rescued her from the baying mob and he showed her grace and mercy and set her free. I think of Zacchaeus who wanted to meet Jesus but hid up a tree to see him. This Zacchaeus that everybody hated as a tax collector but Jesus said, no, I want to come and hang out with you. I want to come and be with you. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. This was Jesus' grace and compassion towards people, the changing nature of God's grace, the transformation or power of Jesus' grace. And interestingly, Jesus didn't shout grace. He didn't really even teach that much about grace. But he lived it out and he showed grace. He demonstrated grace, something for us to follow. So what is grace? And why do we need it? What is this grace? Grace is unmerited, undeserved mercy and kindness. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't grab it. It is a free gift that we don't deserve. Unmerited and undeserved mercy and kindness. It's when God gives us what we don't deserve instead of what we do deserve. Our, our sin in our life deserves something very different. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. But God says, I don't want to give you that. I don't want to give you that. I want to be with you for eternity. And I'm going to pour out my grace and my forgiveness upon you. And he gives us what we don't deserve. And while grace can be taught, I'm, going to, I'm talking about grace tonight. Grace can be taught. We can talk about it. We can think about it. But it's not so much a theology, but it's, it's a way of life. It's part of life. If you think about love. Love will be taught in biology in school. Science will tell us about love, about synapses in the brain and chemical responses and the way the, the body works. But you don't really understand love until you get those butterflies in your stomach or until your heart misses a beat. That's how you understand what love is. You've experienced love. And it's the same with grace. We can talk about it. But until you've experienced grace, you don't really grasp 
what it is. If you've received grace, you'll have a story because it's not just a theory. It's real. Grace is a real thing. Now, I'm going to talk to you about grace, what Paul says about grace in Romans 5. It talks about grace, why we need it, um, and where it comes from. So this is, hopefully it's going to come up on the, on the screen shortly for you to follow because it's, it's quite a few verses. This is Romans 5, uh, 12 to 21. So Romans 5, 12 to 21. Death through Adam and life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account, but there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, or the sin. For if the many died by the trespass or sin of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses or sins and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus took the death that we deserved so that we can receive the grace that we didn't deserve, the eternal life with God. I just want us to look at some of those verses in Romans 5. We start with sin in verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. When Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God, when they decided to not follow God's instructions, they were uh, deceived by the serpent and they took the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat sin came into the world before God had even really described what it was before even given us a law to realize what sin was there it came but then as we read in verses 13 and 20 God did give the law because you need to know what this sin is you need something to measure this against you need to know what is right and what is wrong in verse 13 says to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given and then in verse 20, it says, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. It's so that we could see what sin was. The law was brought in not to trip us up, but to show us how to live. Unfortunately, we, they, in history, humanity has not been able to get this right. And there's this, this pattern of failure and sin and God's grace and mercy coming to rescue us. But 
we keep turning our back on him again. So he has to give us more grace and mercy. And there's this constant cycle of failure and sin. And it all came through the disobedience of Adam. If we see in verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, many were made sinners. When sin came into the world, it came into who we are as humans. We are all sinners. We can't help it. Has anybody gone through today without sinning? That's what I thought. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Sin came in through one man, but thank God, it's been wiped out because of one man. It came into the world through disobedience, but through Jesus' obedience on the cross, grace has come into the world and it wipes clean our sin. So Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the payment, the grace of Jesus. It is him that sets us free. Now instead of the sin increasing because of the law, grace increases because of sin. Praise God. But grace is even more than that. We think of this saving grace. We talk about grace as saving grace, and it is. It's grace that saves us. There's nothing else that can save us but grace, but God's favor, but his forgiveness. It is saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I said just now, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. There is nothing you do to earn God's favor. It is free, and he gives it freely, and he pours it out upon you. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. We are under grace. This free gift sets us free from sin and reconciles us back to God. Where Adam's sin separated us from God, Jesus' obedience, his love and his grace and his forgiveness brings us back to God. But grace is more than this. I want to talk about a little bit more about other characteristics of grace. Grace is saving grace and it has saved us, but it is also justifying grace. It justifies us. I'll explain now. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In biblical terms, justification is moving someone from a position of sin into a position of grace. It's moving them from something they couldn't do to a free gift. It's from sin to righteousness. That is the justification. We cannot justify our own sin. We cannot stand before anyone and explain why we do the things that we do. We can't do that. We can't justify it, but God does. He did. He did. We, so we can't justify ourselves, but God does. We can never explain or account for our sin, but we are justified through grace. There's also teaching grace. Grace also teaches us in Titus 2 11 and 12 it says for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age grace is committed committed grace is connected to holiness grace helps us to be like God our aim is to love God and to want to be like him We want to be like Jesus. And that's what grace does for us. It teaches us. God doesn't just save us to leave us where we are. 
He doesn't just drag us out of the water, drag us out of the pit and dump us on the edge and leave us. He loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to be like him and in community with him. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. His grace teaches us to deny the former life. That grace through his Holy Spirit teaches us to keep away from the former life, to not do those things anymore. Grace doesn't just excuse our slip-ups. Grace isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do what I like because of God's grace. It doesn't work like that, but it does. (laughs) It does, but it shouldn't. Grace teaches us to be more like God. It shows us what he has done, and it shows, shows us who we want to be. We want to be like him. And the very words in Titus say it encourages us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Grace teaches us to be like Jesus. And finally, this last characteristic is this enabling grace. I want to talk about enabling grace. I'm going to talk a little bit about, about Paul and the thorn in his side. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10, it says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I, I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the, the super Christian, the, the best Christian probably to ever live. He wrote most of the New Testament. But Paul says to God, please help me. Well, help me with this ailment. We think it might have been his eyes. People think it may have been his eyesight. Others think it may have been a speech impediment. But Paul suffered with something that he didn't want to suffer with anymore. And he said to God, will you take this from me? Will you help me? This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. So we know God's going to heal him, obviously. But God says, no, I'm not going to do that. But what I will do is give you my grace, and that is sufficient for you. You may struggle, but I will make sure that you have what you need to get through. My grace is sufficient for you, for, power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace enables us to do what he's called us to do. We might not have a speech impediment. We may not have bad eyesight. We may have something else that we struggle with. We may have something that we find hard in life, something that God has called us to do, and we struggle to do it. We struggle to get to that point where God wants us to be. But he says, I will give you the grace to get there. I'm not expecting you to do it on your own steam. I'm not expecting you to work this out by yourself. My grace is sufficient for you. I will help you to do what I've called you to do. If we say, yes, here I am. God, if you want to use me, then then yes, I'll do it. I'm in. It's like Isaiah when he said, who who are you going to send? Send me. Send me, God. I'm in. When we say we're in, when we say we're in for God, yes, I'll follow you, God. I'll go wherever you take me. I'll go wherever you send me. He promises to give you the grace to do what you're called to do. In Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. You know, there's, I was speaking to somebody today about this. You know there's a difference between temptation and sin. But we're all tempted, all of us, and it's okay to talk about that. We are tempted, but it's the sin that matters. Jesus didn't sin, but he was tempted. He knows what you have gone through. He knows what you will go through tomorrow because he's been there. Jesus was tempted, and he understands what we're going through. So he says, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, might have been Paul, says, approach God's throne of grace. A throne is a place of power. A throne is a place of reigning. God reigns in grace and with grace. And Paul, sorry, the author of Hebrews says, come to this throne. Come to this throne full of grace and come with confidence. Come knowing that God will give it to you. Come, don't come meekly. Don't come worrying. Don't think, oh, will God maybe? God will give you his grace when you ask for it. So God, I'm struggling. God, I'm struggling to do this. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in work. I'm struggling with my relationships. I'm struggling with my temper. God, give me the grace to deal with these things. Give me the grace that I need to change. And he promises that he will do it. Approach his grace, his throne of grace with confidence. We're not supposed to do this on our own. This is what Jesus' grace is all about. Think of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff will comfort me. And maybe tonight you are thinking about death. It may be tonight you've thought about it a lot. It may be in a really dark place this evening, but God says, I am with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. I'd love to talk to you afterwards, but I'm going to carry on if that's okay. My rod and my staff will comfort you. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenge you're facing, God is with you and he will give you the grace to get through. So if you are really struggling this evening to get over a hurdle, if you're really struggling um, with anything in your life, call out to God, approach his throne of grace, and he will give you what you need. Paul, in most of his letters in the New Testament, begins them with grace and peace to you, or grace to you. He's offering grace to the people he's writing to. Remember God's grace, and I offer you this grace of God. You see, grace doesn't stop with us. God's grace to us, it doesn't stop there. It flows. The word of God says it is lavish on us. It is poured out on us. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God lavishes his grace on us us. Now the word lavish means to shower over, to pour out, to receive a deluge. It's more than enough. It talks about more than enough. God's grace is more than enough. It's more than we need. So what do we do with things when we have more than enough? Or what should we do when we have more than enough? We give it away. We give it away. We're called to give this grace away. He lavishes us with his grace and his mercy and we're called to give it away. If you've received grace and you have a story of grace this evening, I want you to, to talk to you about demonstrating that to others. If you've received the grace of God, then I want you to think about how do I show that to other people? How do I tell that to other people? How did I show them the grace that has been given to me? You know, if we want to be like Jesus and attract people seemingly just by showing up, we've just read that. Jesus approached a group of people 
and they were astonished by him. They were in awe of him, and they just approached him. There was something about Jesus. He hadn't even done anything at this point. There was something about Jesus that attracted people to him. And I put it to you tonight that it was his grace. It was his graceful personality, his continual pouring out of grace upon the people around him, whether it was in healing, whether it was in teaching, whatever he did, he was pouring out grace on other people. And if we want to be like Jesus, we want to show and we need to show people grace. We need to be pouring out grace, the same grace that he is lavishing on us, pouring on us. We need to pour out on others. I was reminded this week of um, the story of, of Nicky Cruz, who was a gangster in New York in the, the 60s, a group called the Mau Maus or the Mormors, however you want to uh, pronounce it. And there was a preacher called Dave Wilkerson that was going after him, that, that had been called by God to go and speak to these gangs, to help try and clean up New York, save them from these gangs. And, and David Wilkerson was constantly going after Nicky Cruz. He wouldn't leave him alone. At one point, Nicky Cruz, this, this gang leader who'd been brought up in witchcraft, was a violent man, had stabbed people to death. Nicky Cruz said this to David Wilkerson. He said, you come near me and I'll kill you. Come near me and I will kill you. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be running the other way. I'd probably be thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying. But Dave Wilkinson said, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will still love you. That's grace. That's the grace of God. That's us saying to God, my sin is nailed to you on that cross. And God says, yeah, I know, but I still love you and I'll always love you and I'm going to forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. That's the grace of God. I was given a picture, I was at a, a retreat with, with Dave actually, um, probably 18 months ago down in Cornwall, and we were given some time to go away by ourselves and wait on God. And God showed me a, a picture, and I don't, I don't very often get pictures, so I knew this was like God's trying to tell me something. And I, I'm a, I was in the Navy, I'm a systems guy, I understand systems, that's the way my mind thinks logically with, with systems. And God showed me this picture of a tank. And it was just being poured, but what I could see was water. In my mind, it was just water being poured into this tank. And then from the tank, this was going to a, a suction valve, bear, me with, bear with me, but to a suction valve, and then it was going to a pump, and then it was going to a discharge valve, because that's some of the basic parts of, of a system. And this grace was constantly going to this tank, and this tank was kind of overflowing. The pump was running, it was trying to pump, and it was trying to suck out of this tank, and it was trying to pump this water out. But it was going nowhere, because this discharge valve, this outlet valve, like a tap of the sink, was shut. It couldn't go anywhere. And this system was starting to fail. It was starting to shake. It was starting to, to fall apart. And I said to God, what? what is this? What are you showing me? This is really weird. And God said, grace can't stop with you. Grace needs to go through you. If grace stops with you, it kind of doesn't work. Grace needs to go through you. So all this grace that I'm pouring into you, I need you to show it to other people. And I felt quite broken because I thought I was a fairly decent person. But what God was showing me was that I wasn't particularly graceful. That I wasn't showing people an awful lot of grace. And over the last 18 months, I mean, you'll be able to tell me afterwards, I'm trying to get more graceful with people. And I like to think I'm showing people grace. But what I just realized just this week, um, something my auntie said to me, I realized that I'm graceful with people inside the church. Because they're pretty safe, aren't they? But where am I showing grace to people outside of the church? Where is it when I'm coming across people that I can see need the grace of God? They need forgiveness. They need love, despite whatever it is they've done, how they present themselves, that they need the love of God. And I was really challenged. 
I just want you to think about that. The grace that we receive never runs out, never runs dry. God is constantly pouring it on us. But how much of it are we giving away? I need to give away more. I've been called to give away more. And I'm going to try really hard to do that. So I'm, those of you that have received the grace of God, I want you to think about that. About the amount of grace that you give away. And the opportunities you're given to show grace. And let's be honest, we don't always. So perhaps as we go away this week, I want you to think about that. Where can I show more grace? Or ask God. When I'm in a position where I need to show someone grace, instead of walking the other way, I want you to help me. I want your grace in me to help me show your grace to others. And I just want to, want to close this evening by, by speaking to you. If you've not received God's grace, if you're thinking this is an, an alien concept, that you might get something you deserve when you don't deserve it. I want to talk to you about the amazing grace of God. See, grace is constantly being poured out. It doesn't stop. It is raining down from heaven. And it is looking for you. If you've not received God's grace, it is looking for you. It is hunting you down. It wants to show you how good it is. This is God's grace. You may be high as a kite on drugs here tonight. You may have had a skimful tonight. But God's grace is for you. You may have fallen out with somebody today. You may have been mean to somebody today. You may be sat here squirming as I'm speaking. But God's grace is for you. It never, ever stops. He does. God loves you. And his grace is for you. So if you don't know God this evening, if you don't know God's grace this evening, I'm going to ask you as we respond in worship in a moment to receive God's grace. I'm going to take you through a prayer where you will receive Jesus and you will receive his grace. You know, let, me, let me put it like this. If my, my daughter, Olivia, if I saw her out at sea swimming and she was struggling and she calls to me, Dad, Dad, help. I don't turn to Kate and say, has she been good this week? What was her school report like? How is she getting on with her sister? Is she being a good girl? I'm not going to ask those things. That's my daughter and I will do whatever it takes to save her. That's what God is like with his children. He will do whatever it takes to save you. And he's pouring out grace upon you. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. But it is for you. And it is free. And I invite you to take it up tonight. Because if you've not received it before, it is the greatest gift that anyone can ever give you. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. You hear that phrase so often. But it's the gift that keeps on giving. So if you've not received that grace, I'm going to take you through a prayer. Let's all stand together. I'll ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray, to receive Jesus, and to receive God's grace. So if this is you, then you can just pray this in your heart. You can pray this in your head. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the things that I have done. And I'm sorry for the things that I haven't done that I probably should have. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I thank you for forgiving my sins. And I thank you that you love me. Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Show me your grace. And let your grace change my life. Amen. Amen. If that was you this evening, if you have prayed that prayer, or if you want to know more, you're not quite sure yet, and you want to know more, then I'd love to talk to you and I'll be here afterwards. 
But I'm going to pray again now, though, for all of us, that we pass on the grace that we receive. Grace comes to us, but it's not just to stop with us. It's not just to us. It's to go through us. So, Lord God, I ask for more opportunities to show your grace to others, that it might not just stop with us, as grateful as we are for your grace in us and how it changes us, how it has rescued us, how it is lavished upon us. Lord, we thank you. You are so good, we, we cannot describe it. Thank God for his indescribable gift. But Lord, I ask that we would show that to others. That when we meet people that need your grace, we don't pity them. We show them. We show them your grace like you did. When you brought the people from the edges of society, those people that didn't fit in, those people that belonged as people thought on the outside, you brought them in and you healed them and you showed them grace and you showed them mercy and you showed them value and you showed them that you loved them. Lord God, I ask that we would do the same. And I ask for more grace from you. Your, your overflowing, abundant, never-ending grace, Lord, would you pour out more, pour it faster, that we might be overwhelmed to the point where we cannot do anything but give it away. Let us look like you. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us be Jesus in our communities. Let us be Jesus in our schools. Let it be, us be Jesus in our workplaces. Jesus walking down the street. Let us show the grace of God to everyone else. Lord, we need your help. Help us. Even in the midst of all your grace, we still need your help. So help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.